Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Kelly. Kelly is a psychotherapist turned personal mastery expert for female disruptors, answering the call to rise up and dismantle the perceptions and paradigms across all industries that locally and globally disempower and disenfranchise people. And Kelly is a second time podcast guest and I'll share her other episode in the show notes, but She's doing something new and fun and exciting. And that's what I really wanted to have her on today to share. So Kelly, you made a shift in your business. Oh yeah. And and I know people listening are like, we don't talk about business on this podcast, but it's relevant. (laughs) It's relevant. You made a shift in your business. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So first of all, thanks for having me back a second time. I had so much fun on the first episode. I I love doing podcast um, interviews, especially like how you run yours, where you can just jam and have a cool conversation and see where it goes. And it's not this scripted uptight thing. I hate scripted podcasts. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Me too. They're so boring. And so as somebody who listens to podcasts, I would not want to listen to that. So thank you for having me back. Super fun. So yeah, basically, I think life, now you can, your, your listeners can substitute whatever works, like God, the universe, source, whatever, I don't care what you call it. Yeah. I, life, I think, has a really ginormous sense of humor, and I have seen this show up multiple t- times for me, because every time I think I have what I'm doing as a calling or as a vocation nailed down and figured out... It kind of knocks on my door and it goes, yeah, so we had a committee meeting and we decided (laughs) you're not really going to do it this way anymore. So either get on board or we're going to make this really hard for you. (laughs) So that's basically what happened. And uh, I was doing great. I had a, a, you know, mindset coaching and mentoring and speaking business. I was working with female entrepreneurs. And the message basically that I got was, you're not touching enough people. (laughs) You're not reaching enough people. More people need to hear what's really in your heart and what is there to be shared. And so if I'm being totally honest, what happened was I woke up the day after the 2016 election. Oh, God. And I had uh, what my Christian friends call coming to Jesus moment. (laughs) And I woke up and I, you know, all kidding aside, I really felt like I was quite possibly a different person than I was when I went to bed the night before. Yeah. And I realized that there was more for me to do. And that if I was going to be in alignment with my personal values and the values that I infuse into my business, because they're no different in my work than they are in my personal life, Mm -hmm. that I needed to uh, show up in a bigger way. I needed to gather more people, women especially, and that it was time for women to really come together collectively rather than competitively. Yes. And say, listen, we, we are very powerful beings. And especially when we choose to do it 
from a place of sisterhood rather than what we've taught, which is to undercut each other and compete with each other and backstab each other and do all these ugly things, that when we come together for the purpose of disrupting what does not serve the greater good, then we can do really magical things. And so it became very clear to me that um, not only was that what I needed to do as a singular person, but that was where I needed to pivot uh, my work and just trust that it would unfold the way that it needs to unfold to have bigger and bigger impact. So that's a very long-winded answer to your one sentence question, but hopefully that, that sort of you know, encapsulates what happened. It did. And I think most people listening, maybe not all, because um, we do have a diverse audience, most yeah. of us listening woke up after the 2016 election and was ha had like a what the fuck moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. Yeah. So, you know, I fell asleep that night because I refused to watch the end of it. I was starting to get more and more and more upset. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what? This is out of my control at this point. I've done what I could do. I voted and now I'm just going to bed. And when I woke up the next morning, I saw the look on my husband's face because he gets up earlier than I do. And I just felt my stomach drop. And both of my boys came running out of their rooms and they said, mommy, she won, right? And they saw the look on my face and both of them, one actually got it, was tearful because yeah. he has um, a friend from Mexico and he Aww. said, mommy, does this mean Juan is going to get deported? And he just started to cry. And, and so it was really a very emotional, emotional morning for everybody. And this, look, this is not a political conversation. This is about no. values, really. Right. It's about values. I, I agree. I, I tell people all the time, I, it's not about politics when it comes no. to him. It is about who he is as, as a human being. And I think he's yes. a trash heap. Yes. Well, and you know what? One of the things that I've said over and over that I'm not hearing enough people sort of in the world talk about, and this is just because of my background. I was a psychotherapist for many, many years, mm -hmm. is people don't understand that he fits the criteria for narcissistic personality yes. disorder. And you only need a handful. Like, so when we diagnose people, I no longer diagnose, but when I did, yeah you understand that you only need to meet a certain number of criteria for any diagnosis. And, and, and what will be laid out for you is a series of criteria. So for MPD, there are nine. He meets all nine. Mm -hmm. all, not the four or five that's necessary for the diagnosis. He meets all nine. So I don't think the average person uh, understands that what we're dealing with here is not just somebody who is acting like an autocrat and flirting with acting like a dictator, he's mentally ill. And yeah. it, you know, if you don't talk about that and if you don't address it, and if you don't connect the dots, it's hugely problematic. Absolutely. And we talk a lot about mental illness on here because I'm going to school. We kind of flip-flopped. You went from therapist to life coach. I'm going from life coach to therapist. Yes. Yes. And and we talk about it on the podcast, Mental Illness, because I've been diagnosed recently with bipolar 2 disorder. Uh -huh. And you talked about how it's not so much that people who have a mental illness are dangerous if they get the treatment they need. And narcissistic personality disorder can be very dangerous, not so much physically, but like yeah. emotionally and psychologically. 
Yeah, so it's relatively intractable. There, um, there's not a ton of research on how to treat it successfully, not because people don't want to treat it or research it. It's because narcissists don't seek treatment. Exactly. And so you cannot, I mean, pers- the whole category of personality disorders, they're, they're relatively intractable. But the one that we do have a, a good body of research on is borderline personality disorder because you can get borderlines to get into treatment and get help. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the other personality disorders, especially MPD, we, we just kind of don't know. But what we see is it leaves a, a wake of absolute destruction and disaster behind it. And I know this because I have an ex-brother-in-law who has it, and it is all but destroyed that part of my family and every member of it. Uh, he's now on to another family that he's created where he's causing destruction. It's just, it's very sad. But when you have somebody like that in a position of ultimate authority, yeah. and the people around him are too afraid to stand up and do what is right and bring him to task, a narcissist will get persistently worse with their behavior. And so it's really, really important to understand that, not from, you know, again, not from a, a, an argument about party. I mean, I, I don't vote party lines. I vote Same. based on who I think the best candidate is, right? Mm-hmm. This is about really we're in a very, very tenuous situation here and people need to see it for what it is rather than say, oh, this is a political issue because it's not, it really isn't. No, I 100% agree. And I've said that multiple times. And as a child of a narcissist and going to school for psychology, I'm very well aware of, you know, that he hits every criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. And I've said that multiple times. So now we are in this position, Kelly, where we're those of us who have seen the light and aren't drinking the Kool-Aid and we're like, oh my God, what do we do? You talk about disruptors. Can you tell us what disruptors are? Yeah. And I think the best way to start is by telling you what a disruptor isn't. That's (laughs) great. I've gotten a lot of pushback from women where they say, I refuse to call myself that. And when I have a question, when I sit down and ask them questions, why, what is your perception? It's, they say, well, I don't want to be perceived as a bitch and I don't want to be perceived as a ball buster or a troublemaker or a pot stir. And I'm like, oh, I get it. You don't understand what this actually is about. A disruptor is very simply somebody who says, my values dictate that I must take action when I see that there is either a set of pervasive beliefs, or which basically is a paradigm, right? Yeah. Or a set of perceptions that are dictating laws and, and cultural norms and systems, even you know corporate systems uh, or systems inside agencies or political parties. It does not matter. But you, you, know, you understand that those systems driven by a certain set of beliefs are really not serving the greater good. It's serving the, the small number of elite people, which quite often, most often are white men. And yes. that we women have to stand up and say collectively, this no longer flies with me. And I'm willing to put money behind it and my mouth behind it and my vote behind it. And I'm willing to stand up 
uh, to change this because I know it's not just for me. It's not just for my children. It's just not just for my gender or my race or my religion. It's for the greater good. Mm. And that you choose to be courageous enough to stand up and do what it takes to create the change. That's what a disruptor is. But because so many women have been fed this line of bullshit that our worth is tied up in making other people feel good and being nice. We got to be nice. I hate that word. (laughs) And you can't rock the boat and you need to please other people that so many women are just really resistant to do this. And so... I honestly, as much as I hope that my message does reach those women and helps them to change their mind, that's not who I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to women who have fire in their belly and who either are like me and just kind of came out of the womb that way, like wanting to grab <laughs> stuff all the time, or had this, oh, I woke up one day and went, oh, damn, I better step up and do something, which can happen at any moment in life. It can happen from an election or it can happen from witnessing violence or being discriminated against. It can happen in a million ways doesn't matter how you get there, just matters that you kind of woke up and said, I'm no longer okay with this. And I'm either a part of the problem or I'm a part of the solution. Yes, absolutely. And I've definitely talked many times on the podcast and on my Facebook live videos that, you know, those people that sit back and just bitch about life and are just like in a victim mentality, like, woe is me, life sucks. And don't take action. That's on you, man. Like if we see there's something wrong, we have to take action. And, you know, every time I talk about like a a taboo topic or really like edgy topic on the podcast, I always see my numbers drop and I don't give a shit because as far as I'm concerned, I feel like this podcast is my way of, you know, making waves and saying like, this is not okay. This country and this world is predominantly run by men and white old men. Yes. Like, let's get them out of office and let, let's take over the world. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I also remember numbers are accurate only based on what the reason you're looking at them for. So right. just because your numbers drop doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot. Actually, what it could mean is that the ones who stay behind are the ones who are activated and really listening. And if you have a small number of women like that, you can make a massive difference. I would rather my, you know, my following on, on social media or my email list be small but mighty yes. rather than be big and disengaged. I, I'm not interested in big numbers of women who don't do anything. That's, it's kind of pointless. And, you know, he, the thing is this. Not much in life is really truly black and white. I, you know, even though my brain likes to think of everything that way, <laughs> it's really not. Most everything's gray. But in this situation, I really do see it as black and white. You are either part of the solution or you are part of the problem. And if you choose to do nothing, you are part of the problem. If you choose to stay quiet, you're part of the problem. If you choose not to rock the boat, you're part of the problem. You know, it's no different than somebody sticking up for people who are really just um, encouraging uh, disempowering beliefs and paradigms and systems. You are exactly the same if you don't disagree with them. If you just choose to stay silent, you're complicit as far as I'm concerned. And so that pisses off a lot of people when I say that because they want to believe, no, 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 I'm not part of the problem. I'm just staying quiet. I'm just hanging out over here in my corner. 
And what I want women to understand is I understand that not everybody is wired to get on a podcast and run their mouth or get on a stage (laughs) and say these, you know, compelling, sometimes polarizing things or write a polarizing op-ed or a book or whatever. I get it. And you don't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. You can make change in those big ways, or you can just have conversations with two or three women in the back of your church, Mm -hmm. or it can be two or three women at your PTA meeting, or it could be at your book club. It doesn't have to be in this big, huge way. If that's not your way, if that's not your personality, if that's not where you're at right now. So what I try to encourage women to do is start where you're at. So if you're listening to this podcast and going, well, it's all fine and easy for Kelly and Megan to get on there and, you know, say whatever they want to say and have it go out to thousands of people. We worked up to this, by the way. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No no question. But understand, you don't have to start where we're at. Start where you are, which could be as simple as having a conversation with, you know, your best friend or the PTA president or your minister or pastor, or it, it could be very, very, it could be a micro act, right? It doesn't have to be this big macro thing that freaks you out and then leaves you feeling like you can't do anything. You are empowered to start right where you are today. And that's all that matters. I agree. And the micro act could just be raising children who are more accepting and, you know, more loving and are willing to stand up for things that are wrong. My, my kids, I remember it's, it's still a thing for kids to be picked on and called gay, which I'm like, how in 2019 is this a thing? Right. I'm And so I taught my kids, you know, they know there's nothing wrong with being gay. And so I said, you know, you tell kids that say that to you, what's wrong with being gay? And 99% of kids have no response to that question, by the way. Well, because half of them don't know what the word means. Right. Understand it's derogatory in nature. That's how kids are. They sling these words around. I've caught my teenagers several times and I've stopped them and said, do you even know what that word means? And they have to fess up and say, no, I just know it's bad. Well, then don't use it. Yeah. My, um, My youngest daughter... She said she responded to her best friend that way. And her best friends, well, well, gay people are gross. I can't believe that. And my youngest daughter, she, oh man, I'm doing good with raising these kids, Kelly. I'm telling you what, because she goes back at her, well, maybe someday I'll be gay. And the kid goes, I mean, because she doesn't really understand that concept. Sure. She's not there yet. She doesn't know what sexuality is. And uh, the girl goes, well, that's really gross. And she goes, well, I guess we can't be friends anymore. And Good she's like, for her. She's like, I broke up with my best friend today, mom, because it's not okay for her to say gay people are gross. And I was like, yes. I'm but this is, this is where we start, Megan. I mean, we start, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm an advocate of having really conscious and really difficult conversations with adults, but we have to start with our kids. Yesterday, my youngest son, who's uh, 12 and a half, came to me with his phone and he's not a big talker. He's not my, he's not my talker. He came to me and he said, Hey mom, did you hear about that thing in India in the news? And I said, no, I I didn't. What happened? And he said, 20 kids uh, got their final exam grades back and they all killed themselves. And holy shit. Yeah. And I said to him, do you understand why that happened? And we ended up having an entire conversation about 
um, that the culture uh, about Asian culture and the demand for perfectionism and how there is a connection between personal worth and value and performance. And, and it really, I could see the wheels were turning and it really got, he got it. He got it. He made the connection. And I said, honey, we're always going to encourage you to strive to do your best in school. But the cool thing is, even if you don't get amazing grades, it doesn't mean you can't do amazing things. So true. And he, you could see the little light, you know, flip on, which doesn't always happen, by the way. He's a 12-year-old <laughs> boy. We don't always connect the dots all that fast. Yeah. But, you know, he really, he got it. He got it. And that's also part of being a disruptor is being willing to say, I see where these adult beliefs gestate, like where they've gestated from. And we have to nip it early, which means sometimes as parents, we have to fumble around because we don't have the best language or we don't know exactly how to approach it because nobody taught us. And it also means you understand that it's not a one and done conversation. You have to circle back around multiple times and continue to have these conversations. Even when your kids go, la, 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 I'm not listening. I don't want to talk about this they still hear you. They still hear you, you know? So that's part of being a disruptor as well as being willing to commit to start early. Yes. Cause I mean, where kids get these ideas, like my daughter's in second grade and her friend saying homosexuality is gross. She doesn't know anything about that. She learned it from her parents. And I think a lot of times we as parents have to be the ones willing to speak up and speak out and tell our kids like that, that's not okay. It's not okay to pick on people. It's not okay to have these issues. And why do we have these issues, right? Homosexuality was in the DSM something at one point in time as a mental health disorder. Oh, not that long ago. And when you think about the history of, of, um, really psychology as a field, it, it was considered an illness longer than it wasn't. Yeah. So it's still relatively new for culture and for medicine and for psychology to look at it via a different lens. Yeah. And I think that's something we as society need to look at is why are we inundated with this stuff? Why were we taught this stuff? It's because it goes back generations and generations. Well, that's not an excuse because now with the internet and all the things out there, you can learn and you can grow. But I think a lot of people just stay stuck in that little echo chamber of people who think and feel and believe the same way. And they never come out and realize, oh, there's a big old world out there. Right. Right. And that speaks to um, something that I'm actually writing a book about right now, which I'm super excited about, which is one word, fear. And we all have it. And I am sick to death of businesses and brands and celebrities and authors and I hate the word influencers, but you understand what I'm talking about, (laughs) pumping this message to both men and women about being fearless. Mm -hmm. As far as I am concerned, fearlessness is a bullshit illusion. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you can't have moments. I've I've had moments where I felt fearless where I was on a stage and I was kind of in the flow and and just delivering a powerful message. And I was aware that, wow, I probably should feel pretty scared right now, but I'm feeling really good, right? Right. But this whole idea 
that we have to like muscle, muscle up and muscle through, man up and pull up your big girl panties and fear, feel no fear in order to move forward and be successful and be powerful is complete and utter bullshit. And I also think it's dangerous. It's not good for our men to be taught to feel no fear. It's mm -hmm. toxic. It's disempowering. It's also disempowering for our women. Instead, I think we need to learn how to be afraid, but make decisions from a more powerful place. And so when you think of it in terms of like a scale, if you can see a scale in your head, you know, the old school, you know, think of the legal profession, the scales of justice, that kind of image. And you have fear in, on, in one container and you have passion and purpose and vision and bravery on, in the other one do whatever it takes to constantly fill that cup so that you tip the scales all the time. It doesn't mean your fear doesn't come along. I'm scared every day. Every yeah. time I put myself out there, I'm scared. Every day that I sit down to write another 500 words in that book, I'm scared. Every single time I, you know, I live in the South. So every time I have a conversation with people about why I am not religious and why I am oh, not hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. It's a scary conversation because I know there is, um, it could get ugly very, very quickly. Right. So, you know, when I hear people like Ariana Huffington saying, be fearless, the string of curses that goes through my head because I'm a Jersey girl is kind of ridiculous because my thought is, are you kidding me? You want me to stand up and be a leader and be powerful and be successful and be a good mother and a good wife and a good friend and all these things. And you want me to do that without fear? Get the hell out of here. No, right. absolutely. I will not buy into that and I will not teach that. Instead, I want to teach people to disrupt and feel your fear, but choose courage instead. Choose mm. passion instead. Choose mission and vision and purpose instead and fill up that other end of the scale so that it tips and that your fear comes with you, but it doesn't drive your decision making. That's a life skill I want to teach everybody to have. Because if we wait to be fearless, holy crap, nothing's going to change. <laughs> yes. Nothing's going to change. And then we teach our boys and our men to cut themselves off from parts of themselves that are part of their humanity. Yeah. I don't want fearless boys. I want courageous boys. I don't want fearless men. I want courageous men. It's a, there's a big difference there. So that's a whole, I'm writing a whole book on it and it's a whole part of the conversation that I really hope to be having for years to come so that we stop feeding into this toxic masculinity, masculinity and we stop teaching women to wait until you're more confident or you know, more courageous. No, just go, do the thing, speak the thing, write the book, do the TEDx speech, stand up and you know, vote in a different way. Do whatever it is that your heart or your spirit or your soul or God or whatever is calling you forward to do, do it scared. Yeah. And yeah, toxic masculinity is such a, is such an awful thing because we see it where our boys are taught. They can't show emotions. And I have a very emotional boy. Like he's super, he's super in tune. I'm pretty sure he's an empath because he soaks yeah. up everybody's emotions. Yep. I have one of those too. Yeah. And he's been shamed by other people that he needs to suck it up and he needs to not cry yeah. and he needs man up. Yeah. Man up. He's seven. 
one, you know, if you're telling him that now, when he becomes a man, he's going to be not to bash on my husband. I love him so much. My husband struggles to share emotion because that's how he was brought up. And well, and the military, and we under yeah. look, we understand. I no, no disrespect to the military. Yeah. Okay, I understand why military men and women are trained the way they are because if emotion gets in the way of your ability to make a split second decision, people die. Yeah. I understand that. The thing I will talk all day about is what a crap job the military does transitioning people back into civilian life Hallelujah. because if you have been trained to perform that job and you've had to cut off a part of yourself to do it then you better train people how to reconnect to themselves so that they can have healthy marriages and relationships and parenting and get back to other jobs that are civilian jobs they cannot do that well if they are not taught how to reconnect to and feel and process and express emotion. It's a huge disservice I think our military does to, to their people when it's time to go back to regular life. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the VA alone is a fucked up mess. Like, yes. you know, yes. you know, you have all these people coming out of the military with mental health problems because of their experiences. Cause some, it's, it's really traumatic. A lot yes. of times, you know, whether the person's seen actual like combat or they haven't, it's this mind fuck that they go through, which of course we, we need you know, people out there protecting the country, right? Yes. Like, yes. I mean, I don't agree with all the wars we're in right now, but we need the people to be able to help protect us. Right. But I think we're doing, I agree with you, we're doing a huge disservice and we're doing a huge disservice to tell them or anybody that they're fearless. They have fear too. You can't tell me that you're going to go in a war zone and be like, I'm fearless. Like, there's no way. None of us are fearless. We all we all fear, but I love what you were saying is how we need to be courageous and we need to step up and we need to go past that fear to get things done. But that doesn't mean we don't feel the fear. That's it's exactly like it. That's exactly it. And this idea that you have to somehow kill your fear yeah. in order to move forward is utter nonsense. All you have to do is learn how to master yourself better. In other words, feel the feelings observe the feelings, observe. I talk a lot in my book about your flavor of fear. In other words, how does it show up for you? For a lot mm -hmm. of women, you know, fear shows up as panic and anxiety. Yeah. You know, for men, a lot of men, it shows up as aggression. Mm -hmm. And really the root is just fear. So, you know, know what your personal flavor is, but also know what your fear stories are because fear protects us in a lot of ways. But Absolutely. in reality, fear lies a whole lot. And you've got to know what your personal fear stories are that are driving all your decisions. And once you can observe that and identify that and learn how to make decisions from a different place, all it means really is you're taking your fear out of the driver's seat and you're putting it in the back seat, buckling it up and saying, you're allowed to come for the ride, but you don't get to to dictate where we go or how we get there. Like, I hear you. I hear your, you via compassion. You're trying to keep me safe, but life, God, universe, whatever is always going to call you forward to expand. And your fear wants none of that. Yeah. None of it. Right. 
So you're allowed to come for the ride. I, I love and appreciate you because you're part of me and you're trying to keep me safe. And for that, I am appreciative and compassionate, but I'm so sorry. You are no longer wearing the captain's hat. Uh-uh, not happening. So that's really what I'm feeling passionate about teaching. That's the book I'm writing. That's, that's everything. Because if you can take your attention away from trying to kill your fears or numb your fears or all of that, and you can just kind of bring it along for the ride and make decisions from a more powerful place, you will change the world, period, period. That vulnerability piece is so important. I think we often overlook it. And you can be vulnerable and be fearless at the same time. Like no. you got to feel the fear if you're going to be vulnerable. And I no. know you love Brene Brown. Oh, I love she, Brene Brown. Oh. <laughs> I am, look, I am not one to have like, you know, celebrity crush type things. Cause I grew up right outside New York city. So I ran into celebrities all the time. I worked right. with celebrities, kids in the high schools I worked with. Like, I don't fangirl. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a human. Just like the rest of us. Let me tell you something. <laughs> yeah. I fangirl Brene Brown. Hard. I better be wearing depends the day I get to meet her. Cause I might not be able to control my bladder. Like I might lose my shit literally and figuratively. <laughs> I adore that woman. And she is really one of the people who inspired me to write this book from a slightly, you know, she, she's a vulnerability and shame researcher. Yep. And I'm looking at it from a slightly different perspective because I have come up now in a business world where there's these marketing messages around oh. be fearless. Mm -hmm. It's ever Megan for this book, you know, I have done a lot of research I pulled up 4,000 book titles that had the word fearless in it. Holy shit. <laughs> 4,000. If that not alone is proof that this is a cultural message we're being fed, and it was fearless about everything, fearless weight loss, fearless romance, fearless living, fearless business success, fearless marketing. Get the hell out of here with that message. I'm, it's toxic. Get it away from me. I'm feel the fear. Do it anyway. Yeah. How, and, can, how can disruptors, Kelly, use their fear oh, to, to, to motivate them oh, as to fuel. get things done? Yeah. As fuel. And this is a story I tell in my book. So I was about 16 years old and I was really kind of in the throes of this you know, look, I'm 47. So when I was 16, there was still this, you got to have your life figured out by the time you're 18 and you right. go to college, you better know who you're going to be. Right. We don't really do that as much anymore. Thank God. But you know, at 16, I was really pondering things and I was thinking about law school and I was thinking about uh, marine biology. And then I took a psychology class and it changed my life. And I not only knew right then and there, oh, this is a calling, this is a vocation. I had a lot of people around me, fortunately, in school, adults saying, you have a gift here, follow it. So I got really excited, really excited because I was clear and it felt resonant with me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It felt really aligned like, Ooh, not only do I love this stuff and I want to learn everything there is about it, I can actually do this. Now, this was at a time when I already had an eating disorder. I was struggling with depression. I thought I was the ugliest person on the planet. I thought I was stupid. I thought I was useless. So I had this moment of like, Ooh, there is something for me that there, there is, I, I'm not an accident here. There is a way I can contribute to life. 
And I made a poor decision. I went to talk to my dad about it. Oh. And that was a bad idea. And I went to my dad and I went excitedly to my dad and said, I finally figured it out. I want to go study psychology. I want to go help people. And he turned and looked at me and he said, and he giggled a little bit. Oh. And he said, you're not very good with people. I don't think that's a good idea. And you're never going to make any money. <gasps> and it, it instantaneously crushed me. And at the same time, woke the dragon. And this is what disruptors can do. They need to find the way to wake the dragon. And your fear of, I can't do this, and who the hell am I, and I'm not ready, and I'm not good enough, and I don't know enough, let that fear wake the dragon. Because let me tell you something, the minute she woke up, my answer when my dad said, you can't do it, my answer was, watch me. Mm -hmm. watch me. And that, so that fear and that shame I felt in that moment and that rejection I felt, in the, which by the way, he did not intend to do. Right. That was not, he was not trying to be awful. He thought I know best for my daughter mm -hmm. and business is the best way for her. She needs to go get an MBA. She needs to go work in a bank like I do because she'd be a great trainer. She'd be a great, you know what I mean? So yeah, it, it's, I, I don't mean this to um, shame my dad. He and I have come a, a very long way, but it, it was a defining moment for me. So disruptors need to find the way to wake the dragon. Use yeah. the fear as fuel to wake up a part of you that might be sleeping or might be just have like one eye, like kind of cracked open. <laughs> you know what I mean? And wake her up and then go do what Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss and, and commit to, to being on the hero's journey. Yes. Commit to doing what it takes to answer the calling that life or God or the universe is bringing you because we live in a universe that is in a constant state of expansion. You're part of that. Your ego, your fear wants you to hang out right where you are. I'll be all comfy in that little bubble where we know where everything is and what's going to happen all the time. Even though it feels crappy, doesn't matter. Your ego and your fear want you to hang out there. Your inner being wants you to go go, go run at it. And that's very hard to do if you don't wake the dragon. Yeah. And so use your fear to do that. If anybody has listened to the, our first episode together, they will know you woke the dragon inside of me. Cause at the oh, time when I sat there with you at that, that conference, you were like, why aren't you doing this? And I yep. was at all these excuses and you're like, just do it. Yep. And I was like, well, I can just do these things. I don't need permission. I don't need anybody right. to tell me I can. And I did And Look where I am now. Like all yep. these little steps along the way have led me to being like, I want to be a therapist because I think my life experiences will help me help those people who are struggling with, you know, traumatic events that happen in their childhood. That's really where yes. I'm passionate because I feel like that a lot of time hold, holds us back because at some point in time, something happened to us and we started thinking like, we're not good enough and we can't do this, but we Megan, can. I will tell you that I truly, and I say this often, I think the number one reason why the planet is suffering as much as it is 
regardless whether it's gun violence or it's racism and sexism and all this other stuff is unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. And right now the field of trauma is an exciting field yeah. to be in because it's growing rapidly. The body of research is, I mean, I have chills just thinking about it. I mean, the, the, the people who are leading the path uh, with trauma research and developing trauma-based treatment, they are truly changing the world. So you are getting into this field at a really pivotal time because it is, it used to be a slow crawl. Right. <laughs> it was like, no, 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 we're trying to get you to understand trauma. And now people are really waking up and there's research behind it and it's going to explode, yeah. explode. So you're getting into it at a really exciting time where you can be part of something that will create a, a massive difference. So I, I'm thrilled for you and I'm excited for yeah. you. I'm so excited too. I mean, I still have like, you know, a long, a lot of time in school to go, but I'll get That's there. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. But you know what? You're going into it with a trauma focus. Mm -hmm. And also you have a unique perspective because you've experienced trauma. Yeah. And so you bring compassion and empathy to what, whether you decide to do research or you decide to do, you know, direct practice, it doesn't make a difference. You're going to bring personal experience and compassion and empathy to something that is, I mean, it's, it, it's incredibly painful. I have PTSD. Yeah. I struggle with severe insomnia as a result of having PTSD. And, you know, it, it, the, fortunately the research that exists has really helped me heal in a lot of ways in its brain-based research. It's not just yeah. this typical, let's talk about your past stuff. It's right. brain-based. So, I mean, oh my God, I'm just excited for you. So don't think about how far you have to go. Think about the fact that this is like literally the most perfect time for you to enter the field and be an active participant in changing the entire field of trauma and how it's going to touch people. That's being a disruptor right there. I'm so excited. So Kelly, as we wrap up the podcast, what is something or a collection of things you would like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? So a couple of things. Number one, don't ever for one second think that your being here is an accident. It's some not, it's not some random, you know, act of chaos that the universe just sort of dropped you here. Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this and I can't think of the number off the top of my head, but it's something like, you know, the, the, the probability of you even being here is like one in a trillion. So you cannot argue that you are some accident who has no purpose and nothing to offer in this world. So do whatever work you have to do, whether it's coaching, mentoring, therapy, I don't care what it is, reconnect to that part of yourself that knows you are so much more than all these limitations you're arguing on behalf of all the time. What you look like doesn't matter. Your age doesn't matter. What happened to you in the past doesn't matter. Reconnect to that part of you that knows you have something to contribute and do what, be freaking relentless in figuring out what that contribution is and then walk with your fear to offer your contribution. And if you want or need be, and know that you deserve, because we all do, support on that path, then seek it out. 
whether it's a coach, a mentor, a consultant, a therapist, a pastor, a it doesn't matter who it is. Find your person because the truth is we go way further and faster when we go together, not when we go alone. Even though our culture says, be independent, you can do this yourself, you shouldn't need yeah. help. That's also a load of bullshit. So, so true. find your community, find your mentor so that you can contribute with grace and ease, but with speed and with impact. That is the greatest call I can give you to know that there is meaning and purpose in you and that it is not meant for you to keep it to yourself. It's meant to be shared. So get out there and start sharing it. Yes. And everybody, I'll link up all Kelly's links in the show notes so you can connect with her if you want more of this. She's always posting things where I'm like, yes, girl. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also I'll, I'll share the link with you, Megan, if you want to share it in the show notes, but okay. I am committing to do a hundred interviews with women for my book who tell stories of, uh, really basically refusing to buy into fearlessness, who felt their fear, who built what I do, what I call do building your brave. Um, to triumph. I want to hear, I want women to come and brag about the stories of triumph where you didn't kill your fear, you felt it, you brought it with you and you chose courage in its place. So I will give you a link because I'm having women do um, interviews and then I'm choosing a handful of those interviews to go in the book and also to do a video series. So if there is a listener who has a really powerful, vulnerable, impactful story that you'd like to share with other women, to help them take that next step and you're interested in quite possibly being in the book, then please fill out the interview form. Tell us your story, brag. We want to hear all about how amazing and brave you are so that we can share it with other women and encourage them to do the same. So I'll give you all my information about where you can find me if you're interested in doing work with me personally. But if you're interested in possibly being in the book, I'll share that link as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Kelly. Thank you, Megan. It's always such a pleasure. And just know that I just, you know, woman to woman, I'm so proud of you and Thank I'm so you. inspired by you and keep doing the good work, my friend. And uh, I'm, I'm just honored that I've been able to be part of your journey. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.